Well, good morning, church. How you guys doing today? Good, good, good. Good to be uh, here in the building with you guys. Good to be online with you guys. Uh, shout out to all those people watching online. Hi, mom. And uh, it's great, 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 great to be in the house of God today. Before we dive into the message, I want to take a quick second and talk to you guys about City Nights. City Nights is a prayer gathering that we're going to be having tomorrow night. We're supposed to have it last Monday, rain. So we said pause, give us more time to pray about what we're going to be praying about, and it's going to be awesome. So City Nights is going to be this coming Monday, 6.30. And why we're gathering together to pray is because we want to see God's church here at McDonough wake up. Wake up out of this cold, kind of formal, kind of put together uh, religiosity and just be on fire again for the kingdom of God. Uh, Paul, when he's talking about what prayer can do, he says uh, that prayer is this thing that gives us this divine power to demolish strongholds. And there are things in our city that we want to see God move and God shift. And there are strongholds of sin in our city. Uh, there's poverty, there's, there's racism, there's a lack of unity, there, there's uh, widespread fear around so many different things. And our best uh, politicians, our best social reform, our best uh, local government, and our best you know, um, humanitarian efforts, all those things can do is put a, a dent in those strongholds. But we, we really believe that by prayer and by fasting that we can demolish them. And then our city can look more like the kingdom of heaven because of God's people gathering together in prayer. And so I want to invite you to that. It's going to be next or tomorrow, Monday. Monday night, uh, that's where we're going to be. We're going to be outdoors, down at the pavilion. We're going to kind of have it set up. Uh, we've already got like a guide to go through prayer. If you're one of those people who are like, hey, I don't drive at night, like that's okay. Um, we're going to be sending out a guide for you to be able to go through that so you can pray wherever you're at. If you're online, um, we can send that out to you guys too so that God's people can gather together in prayer. Now, bring somebody with you. Bring a Bible and bring somebody with you. It doesn't have to be, or again, this is not an MCC thing. This is a, a, a people who follow Jesus in this area thing. So if you got a neighbor, uh, goes to church down the road, some other church, bring them with you. Say, hey, do you believe in prayer? Do you believe God can move when his people begin to pray? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, get in my car. Let's go. Um, Problem. Tell them you got to take them to dinner afterwards. Whatever you got to do, because as many people here as possible to pray and lift up and see God begin to move in our city. All right. Let me read our passage today. If you got a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter six. That's where we're going to be. I said this last service. I'll say it again. Um, this is the most important part of my sermon. It's reading Jesus' sermon. All right, the, the reason, again, we, we said this when we first started this whole big long thing where we're gonna be journeying through the Sermon on the Mount. The big question is, do I believe what Jesus said is true? Otherwise, why do we come in here? Why do we gather together? Why do we do these things? If, if we don't believe what Jesus said is true and it actually has implications that would change our life and give us the true life, a life that is so much different, so far better than anything else. So we come to these words of Jesus and we go, Jesus, these words are true. Show us how they should change our lives so we don't just come in as a bunch of people who learn a lot about you and come and just sit and just learn, but that we would be people who see how your word would change our lives so that your kingdom will come here in this city, here in our lives, here in our homes, here in our schools, as it is in heaven. So let's read his word. Matthew 6, we're going to start in verse 19. Matthew 6, 19, going to go down through 24. Everybody there? Cool. Jesus is talking to a big old group of people on a hillside in Galilee. Wind's blowing through, nice cool breeze. And he says these words. Do not store for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasure in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are bad, 
the whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Let's all bow our heads and pray about this incredibly easy to unpack, super non-hard passage together. Jesus, we love you. Thank you so much for your word. And despite how it affects us, how it meets us where we're at and causes an immediate jarring sometime, Jesus, we thank you that it is by your word that we can be shaken to a place where we're now awake to go, wow, that's so much different than maybe how I've been doing things. And Jesus, we, we, we thank you for that. We, we thank you that you come on the scene and you offer not just something that's a few notches off of how we were going, but something that is completely different. And God, maybe that's exactly what we need today. So many of us, God, we've been trying and trying and trying to make this thing that is called life work. And I pray that we will come to your word today and realize the only prescription for a life that works is a life that's according to your word. We pray you would align our hearts, align our hands, align our lives to your holy word today. As I teach it, let your people hear you. Get me out of the way so they can hear, see, and feel you speaking into their hearts. In your name, amen. All right, so we're starting a new series today. Again, kind of as we're journeying through the Sermon on the Mount, we're kind of breaking up into sections. Um, this one we're, we're calling Insecure. And the reason we're calling Insecure um, is because what Jesus is getting ready to tackle in these next three weeks that we're going to go through and unpack are the primary things I believe that we have a lot of insecurities around. I mean, we just talked about money, and bingo, right there, early on, we have already felt insecurities around money. There's a study done, and it would be not surprising if it was done in 2014, but if it was done in 2021, with everything that's gone on in 2021 and 2020, the stats in here, because they were taken during this time period, they're even more alarming. There was a study done, a survey called the Citywide, Citywide Survey, it was on financial stress and everything else, and during this survey, they found that 73% of Americans rank their finances at the most significant source of stress in their life. Now, again... That was taken during a global pandemic where hundreds of thousands of people died. And in the midst of that, people still said, yes, I'm kind of worried about dying from COVID. You know what I'm worried about more? Money. It was the number one thing that people said, hey, if there's something that's stressing me out, it's money. And a lot of the stress that went around all the global pandemic and the COVID that we're still in was, okay, there's going to be a health crisis. And then if you listen to the little whispers, it was, there's going to be a health crisis. There's just going to be a financial crisis. I'll be honest with you, like there was one of those that I was more worried about. I think all of us, if we had to be honest, we'd probably be somewhere in that boat. But in the midst of all that we have going on, there's this reality that so many of our insecurities in this life, they have to do with money. And it started early, didn't it, right? You show up to school and you got your first day of school clothes laid out. And you're like, yeah, man, that looks cool. That looks good. And you get to school and you're like, what? This is not cool anymore. And you realize that, 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 that this brand is like the third knockoff generation of that brand. And you're like, wow, oh man, I'm, I guess I, I don't have as much money. And you realize that if I don't have these things that are inherently more expensive, isn't it weird that always the, the more expensive stuff was the cool stuff? In order to do the things that the cool kids do, like I thought like it was like I remember when it was like sixth or seventh grade and you could be in band. Now again, there's not a band bone in my body. Like I can play... Spotify, and that is it, literally. 
But there was still something in me that like kind of wanted to be in band because like that was what people were doing. And then, you know, I take this stuff home and I'm out talking to my parents and I send them this stuff. And I was like, Mom, I want to play this like trombone thing. This trombone thing looks good. And like she's looking at how much the trombone costs. She's like, we're not, we're not doing, we're not a band family, son. You know, like we're a baseball family, you know, you got a bat, you got cleats, yeah, we're good to go. We're not, we're not buying a trombone. And so you have to go back to school and you don't, you know, you don't go into your friends. Well, why aren't you in band, Trent? Because we're poor. You're just like, my family, we're non-instrumental, like we don't believe. You know, you just have to make stuff up because you don't want to tell your friends that because you're insecure. I see that, that financial aspect of things, it just, it hits us from a young age and it continues on to so many decisions we make. So many, so there are people in this room, um, we're, we're in loads and loads of debt. Because we bought things because we were insecure about our identity and we thought we had to impress people. We thought we had to, you know, keep up with the rest of the Joneses and we thought we had to do these things. And some of you, man, there's a lot of decisions when you look back in your life, man, I shouldn't have bought that. That was stupid. I was just trying to impress him or her or, or to, to get in that neighborhood to do that thing. And I thought that's what I needed. And so Jesus comes into this place and he says, okay, I know the human condition. I know that you're going to have this propensity to want to use money to find your identity and to determine your destiny. And he talks here in this passage and he unpacks the truth and the reality and offers something that's so much better. Now, I want to unpack or, or like go back and put a little bit in context before we get back into that passage. All right. So again, Jesus is in the sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. He starts it out with this incredibly like boom, controversial, flips all the world on its head right out of the gate with his very first words. He comes on the scene, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And people around like, that doesn't, no, not blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the people who have it all put together. Blessed are those who do righteous things. Blessed are those who tithe out of their spice rack. Blessed are those who, you know, wear a suit and tie to church every time. Blessed are those who, you know, their, their kids make straight A's. Blessed are those whose kids always hear part on the side, who pack the Lunchables. Blessed are those people, but not, not the blessed, no, poor. But what Jesus is saying here is all this outward religiosity, all the things that you thought you had to do, all that's out the window. Now the thing that's in context, now the thing that really matters is your spirit. It's this thing inside of you. And is there something inside of you that goes, I don't have what it takes and I can't do this on my own. And God, if there's only, there's only one way that this is gonna work out and is if you work it out in and through me, that's poor in spirit. We talked about the picture of the prodigal son there with, with arms of pig mud and pig slop up to his arms and said, that is what blessed looks like. Of him realizing, I threw it all away and I should go back home to my father. We talked about the teenage girl who, who's sitting in the bathroom at CVS after her third pregnancy test, realizing, God, the only way that I can raise this child, the only way that you can bring some glimmer of hope out of the situation is if you move and work through this. That's blessed. Because in that poverty of spirit, they realize that God was their only hope. And so Jesus says, the only way in is through me. The only way in is to realize that you are poor, that you're broken, and, and that poor and brokenness leads to this hunger for righteousness, and Jesus then gives us that righteousness, not something you could buy your way in on. Unlike any other religion where you could work your way into it or buy your way into it, Jesus said, no, there's something totally different here. And he says, this is, this is what this new blessed life looks like, and, and you get in through poverty or spirit. And then this last section that we talked through, where we went through, uh, we, talk, we called it pretend, we talked about these ways that Jesus calls out fake religion. This fake religiosity where you, um, you tithe in a way that everybody else knows about it or you give to the poor in a way that everybody else knows or you pray in a way that everybody can notice or you fast and you just mess your face up all gloomy and you're just, I'm fasting. He, like, he said, that's garbage. We're not about that anymore. And what he does here, he says, you can't buy your way into my kingdom. You come in through a poor spirit, realize that I am your only hope and once you're in, don't fake it. 
Don't be like the religious Pharisees. Don't be religious hypocrites. Now, he knows our propensity to overcorrect and go, oh, I don't want to be a religious hypocrite. So I'll just, you know, I got freedom. I'll do what I want. I'll just kind of live my life how I want to. My life, my rules. Because Jesus said I'm free from trying to pretend. So I'll just be me. And Jesus goes, hold on, cowpoke. Like, that's not it either. He knows where we would go, okay, I should live a life for God, so I should be a religious hypocrite. Then he knows how we could overcorrect to go, oh, well, I'm going to be, um, I'm going to take my freedom and I'm going to be rebellious. I'm going to be someone who just lives and does what feels good. And he says, actually, there's, there's a better option between living religious or reckless. The better option is living a life that's actually sincere, a life that's actually in congruence with what God is doing on the outside, on the inside. And what I believe the point he's going to make through the next three things he talks about, because here in the section that we already read today and we're going to go on and unpack, he talks about money. And so he talks about money, and then he talks about anxiety and our stress and our worry, and then from there he, thought, he talks about our endless desire to compare ourselves to others to see where we stand with God. Which, man, if you're going to pick a three-week section of church to not miss, <laughs> money, anxiety, and judging other people should probably be a reason to say, hey, I'm going to stick around for the next three weeks if anything. And what I think he's trying to make as he talks through these three particular things that cause us so much insecurity in life is I think what he's trying to connect here, and this is the dot that's going to kind of be the underlying thing through all this. He's saying, your sincerity will lead to security. That if you continue to live a life that is unsincere, that it's just you're pretending to be religious when you come to church for an hour, you're pretending to be religious when you're around some church friends. If you pretend to keep living a life that is insincere, you're going to completely stay someone who is insecure. But if you can live a life that is sincerely following Jesus, that is sincere no matter who you're around, what you're doing, or what they could provide to you or could take away from you, if you're still sincere, then you'll be secure. Secure in me, secure in who you are, secure in what I've called to, and secure in the future that I have for you. And that's what we're going to walk through for the course of these next few weeks. So let's grab our Bibles. Let's dig in to the words that he says in this first section here in verse 19. He starts out. He says, okay, don't store up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and vermin, that's like rats and possums, I guess. Um, <laughs> vermin, it's just a lump all category there for critters. Um, where moth, vermin destroy and where thieves can break in and steal. So he says, do not store up for yourself treasure on earth where moth, vermin can destroy, where thieves can break in and steal. The point he's trying to make here is don't store up for yourself. Now, again, let me tell you what Jesus is not saying. He is not saying it's bad to have a savings account. He's not saying it's bad to have a Roth IRA or a 401k or whatever your work offers you. He's not saying it's bad to have stuff. He's saying it's bad for stuff to have you. He's saying it's bad, it's not a good idea to store those things up for yourself. It's right there in the text. Don't do that just for you. To stockpile, hoard in all these things just for you. He says that's, that's not a good idea. And he says, he's making the point, moth and vermin, they're going to destroy it. Thieves are going to break in and steal it. Then he gives them the, the better solution. He says, but here's a better option. Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy. It's a place where things are untouchable and where thieves cannot break in and steal. Now, we hear that verse, that second part where he says, okay, store up for yourself treasure in heaven. 
And a lot of time, maybe in the church you grew up in, maybe it was like church I grew up in, and we thought, okay, if I store up treasure in heaven, what that means is I just eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and pinto beans down here on earth, and I, and I just don't indulge in the great things that are down here so that when I get to heaven one day in glory, then I can just have a lot of awesome stuff, and I'm just going to just sacrifice here and never go to Six Flags, never go on vacation. We're just going to give away to missionaries, and then one day we'll get it all re-back in heaven. I don't think that was what Jesus is after. And the reason I don't think that is because when we read the Bible, you have to read it in context. Remember what Jesus just got through saying for the whole beginning of six of chapter 6. He talked about, first and foremost, giving. And he said, when you give, don't make a big deal about it. He says, when you give, give in secret. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And he says, and when your father who sees what's done in secret, he will do what to you? He will reward you. And then he talked about prayer. And he said, okay, when you pray, don't go praying around, you know, big, I'll make a big show about it. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray in secret, and your father who sees what's done in secret will do what to you? He'll reward you. And he said the same thing about fasting. Now, how miserable of an existence would it be as a Christian if you did not receive any of the rewards from giving, praying, or fasting until you died and went to heaven? I don't think that's what Jesus is after. Because I don't know about you, but I know for sure I have experienced already in this life of God rewards for giving. I have experienced already of God rewards through crying out to him in prayer. I remember the first time I ever prayed. Um, big, huge argument with my parents. Uh, big knockdown drag out. I was probably uh, about the age of my oldest son, seven years old. Big down, knocked out, drag out uh, fight between my parents. Um, it, it's physical abuse. Dad gets in the truck, backs down the driveway. And as I see the headlights going down the driveway, we're in a family that went to church. But I remember seeing those headlights go down the driveway. My first prayer just came out of my gut somewhere. I believe God put it in there and just prayed, God, please bring my dad home. And see, the reward of that prayer isn't something that I'm not going to, I'm going to wait to experience there. See, the roar of that prayer is me already knowing, like, God, you sparked that prayer in a kid who had never been to church, and God, you've been showing that kid since seven years old that his father is not Perry Shoemake, just Perry Shoemake, but his father is in heaven. His father knit him together in his mother's womb. His father is the creator of the universe. His father sent his son to die on a cross for him. So that he could have true life and be adopted into the true family. One where people don't hit each other. One where people don't fight each other. One where resources are all on the table. One where you never have to worry about do you have approval. One is a real family. And see, when he comes into this scene and he says, okay, store it for yourself. Not treasure here on earth, but treasure in heaven. We've got to understand that if God is in the king of heaven... The Bible says that when we are in Christ, that the Father and the Son, they come and they make a home in us. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know what you think the most important part of heaven is, but it's not rivers with gold all up in it. It's God and Jesus, okay? And so if if they come and they're up in us, well, that's kind of a big deal, folks, all right? And, and, and so those are the rewards that start here. So I don't have to wait till I die to experience these rewards. These rewards that I experience are when I align my life. Actually here, boots on the ground, Henry County, or wherever you're watching online, it's when I align my life with the things that are valuable in heaven. Love, joy, peace, giving, sacrificial love, grace, mercy, unity as opposed to division. When I begin to live my life in a way that those things are what align, then I am actually storing up for myself treasure in this new kingdom that God has brought on the scene. That's how we define kingdom as we walk through this series. We say God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, is any place where what God wants done is done. 
And you don't have to wait till you die to experience the rewards of that. So he says, okay, there are two paths. There's a path of storing up treasure for here, hoarding, storing, you know, building up all these things. And there's a path down here where you can still experience love and joy. And you'll be, again, you, the rewards and how you experience them here, they're not going to be in their fullness. Don't, don't get me wrong on there. Don't over-exaggerate. We're going to experience them in their true fullness when Jesus rips the sky open, comes down, brings heaven to earth fully, and we begin to experience all things new. But I believe the point he's trying to make here is this. Don't expect something as insecure as your 401k, as your car, as your house, as your neighborhood, as your, you know, Michael Kors purse. Don't expect anything insecure to give you your security. Which I would, I, that's what I would say. Okay, where is your security? Is it in how much, you know, you have in retirement? Where's your security? Is it in what car you drive? Where's, where is the security now? And if you're expecting anything other than Jesus to take care of you, to make you wholly secure, you must have forgot what happened in 2008. You, you, you forgot about those things. We forgot about the economy. Oh, I'm going to invest in this house. And we go so much. We got to invest. We're going to refinance to pour in upgrades. And then back to square one. New job. New everything. All of us wiped out. He says, don't expect something insecure to give you security. Expect the only thing that is secure, the only thing that is promised for sure, to be the promise that you rest assured on. And what I... Once you see, we just talked about the first one. In this passage, Jesus walks through three crossroads. The first crossroad he takes us through is, okay, you got a choice. You're at a crossroad. You can store up treasure here on earth or you can store it in heaven. The next one we're going to get into is he's talking about, okay, you're at a crossroad. You can have a dark, blinded eyes that, that don't have, that, that cause darkness inside of you. Or you can have lies where the light of the gospel works through them. Or then he goes to the third crossroad that he's going to take us to. He said, you can either serve God or you can serve money. We're going to unpack those two things. The second one, get back into, he starts it here in verse 21. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's like he's saying, where the money goes, the heart flows. And we know this is true, right? Like, we don't want to admit it because it's, it's not the most, like, legit thing in the world to just stand up and be, and be proud of. But you can, honestly, you can say whatever you want. Um, but if I want to know what you really think is valuable, I can look at your credit card statement. Like, you can see it there. Like, you can look at mine and be like, those people, they value the Lord's chicken. Like, those shoe makes, they value that, that, that Lord's chicken, that Chick-fil-A. They, uh, that is valuable to them. And it's as if, um, you know, we can have great doctrine, we can believe great things about the Bible, and we can get arguments about those on online blogs and everything else. But at the end of the day, your credit card statement is your doctrinal statement. It shows what you believe. And, that, and again, don't shoot me. I'm just a messenger. This is what Jesus is saying. That's why he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where the, where the money goes, the heart flows. Think about it like this. Like Tesla stock, it just like skyrocketed a little, a little while ago. And like say when Tesla stock was skyrocketing, you were like, I'm going to jump in here. I'm going to buy 1,000 shares of Tesla stock. And if Elon Musk came on the news tomorrow, I was like, okay, we're going to um, only make pink cars. And you're like, that's the stupidest thing ever, Elon. Why are we only going to make pink cars? The stock is going to plummet. You only feel that way when he announces that we're only going to make pink cars. You feel that way because you've invested in Tesla. Your heart is in there. That's the only reason. Like, If you weren't investing in Tesla, you're like, that's stupid. And you move on. If you invested, you're going, that's stupid. I've got to do something. I'm going to change. I'm going to do something different. So he says, where your heart is, that's where your treasure is at. And he goes from there, he starts talking about this whole eyes thing. He says, uh, the eye is the lamp of the body. 
in verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, good news, your whole body will be full of light. In verse 23, he kind of, again, shows the other side, the other, other option, a uh, fork in the road. He says, but if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, uh, in order to, I think, really understand what, this, what he's getting after here, you got to know that that word unhealthy, uh, um, a lot of other places, especially in the New Testament, it's not just translated unhealthy, it's translated generous. So he's saying, if your eyes are generous, then your whole body is going to be full of light. If your eyes are looking for reasons, looking for opportunities to be generous with what you have, your life is going to be lit up. But if you are closed off, if you're not looking for any reasons or any uh, motives or, or potential opportunities to help anybody out, to give anything away to anybody else, then you have closed the blinders to your life. It is like you walk through Skid Row or you walk through that part of town and you just close your eyes. And, and because I'm not seeing it, it doesn't exist. He says, that's a really dark heart. One that just closes its eyes, knows it's there, but, the, but, but lies to itself and says, because I didn't see it, it's not real. It's the kid playing hide and go seek and they just go to the corner and they go, you can't see me. They're like, no, you're, you're right there. And that's God kind of looking at us and going, we're, 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 and th- this is the, part of the motivation behind these city nights is I think God looks at like us as a church and we're that kid in the corner with our eyes closed going, they can't see me. And God's going, you're there. Like, you're, 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 you're in the city and there are these things going on around you. Quit playing hide and go seek. I have found you. You're in this and you're in the middle of this. Open your eyes up and get to work. And he says, your eyes, if they're good, then your whole body's going to be good. But if they're dark, it's going to be a bad darkness. And I think the point he's trying to make here, just kind of sum up this, is, is, is he's saying what you behold. Okay, so what you, you don't just glance out one time and you move on. But that, that, like to put it in like Instagram terminology, like I'm following them, I'm subscribing, I, I'm going to see everything that happens that they post. What I behold will eventually determine how I behave. What I focus on, what I give my attention to, what I begin to focus on will determine how I behave. Like if, man, I'm looking at that pickup truck, I'm like, man, I love that truck, I can't wait. You know, next time I need a new truck, I'm going to go get a truck like that. And then like three weeks later, I convince myself, my truck's so terrible. Like, and I just got to go get a new truck. And I, I haven't washed it. I haven't got an oil change in it. And I'm just going to tell my wife, she don't know anything about trucks. So I'm just going to say this and this and this and this broke. And I just going to cost way too much money to fix it. But the reality is, I just want to go get a new truck. What you behold determines how you behave. And then after a while, you behave enough because of what you're beholding, then that is what you become. What Jesus is after here, he's like, man, I, I need you to understand, folks. What you treasure will define you and will determine your destination. I think that's one of the big points he's trying to make in this, is the things that we treasure, whether they're our kids and how well they perform, whether it's this new relationship that we have, whether it's things that finances got us, what you treasure will determine so much about your life. And the two most critical things that they determine that frustrates Jesus is when the things that we treasure define our life and our destiny because Jesus gave his life so that our eternal destinies could be changed. When we sit down here in Henry County or wherever you're watching online and we let money or resources or clothing or whatever, online status, when we let that determine our identity and our destiny, he's frustrated. And you would be too if you were a father who gave your son to change people's life and destinies. 
verse 24, he goes on, and now he gets to this place where he hits kind of this third crossroad. He talks about masters. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you're going to hate one or you're going to love the other. You're either going to be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, we hear that and we're like, what are you talking about? Like, how do, we, how do you even serve money? Like, money, what should I do today? Money, should I go to bed? Money, should I wake up? Money, should I get? How do I serve money? Well, here's how you serve money. You serve money by looking to it to serve you. By looking to it to provide you the security, the, the confidence, the uh, attention, whatever it may be. You serve money by looking for money to do something to you. So you go earn it, or you go make it, or you go steal it, so that you can get the things that you think you need. Now, I want to take it a, a layer deeper than just money. I'm going to go an onion layer deeper here because what we do when we spend money the wrong way, when we are serving money as opposed to God, we're doing that because we're actually trying to serve an idol. There's a, a really, really good book uh, that uh, theologian and pastor um, Tim Keller wrote. It's called Counterfeit Gods. And in there, he talks about what he calls the four root idols. And again, you can go back through scripture. I think this perfectly lines up with actually what we see in scripture. He talks about these four root idols and their comfort, approval, power, and control. And what we do with money has to do with how we're serving that idol. Because we're looking for money to bring us power. If I have power, I feel like I'm really good. I, like I'm, I'm okay if I have the power that I need. And so this is the person at church who says, well, I don't like how things are going, and I'm the biggest tither here, so because I tithe, I'm gonna go tell them, hey, if you don't stop doing X, Y, Z, I'm gonna stop giving. And it's because I have this money, now I have this power. So you gotta listen to me, because if I don't, something will happen, like God can be bought off. It's power. And I, and I get all that money so I can get that power so that people listen to me and do what I think they need to do. Approval. Again, this is one that we can go back to middle school with this one. Like, well, if I have enough money, well, I can get their attention, I can get their approval. If I live in this neighborhood, then people that I don't know are just going to go, oh, man, I wonder what it's like to live in that neighborhood. And it's not, you don't need, like, this is a crazy thing, and I can say this because approval is mine. You, approvalholics in here, you know, just, just wink at me if you know this is real. You will do dumb financial things because you think, and you will never hear people say something, but you'll do it because you think they will, right? You just go, man, if I have this, or I look like this, or I wear this, or I drive that, or whatever, I bet people would think X, Y, Z. And what's crazy is, you go back and you look, and you're like, you know, like, I'm the one that's in debt, and I still haven't heard anybody say any of that. And you're like, this is stupid. And then there's the, uh, the comfort piece. And this is the person who's like, man, I just want to get a lot of money. We're going to go have fun. We're going to go on crazy vacations. We're going to spend all this money. We're going to have an awesome time. We're going to be comfortable. Or this is the person that says, like, hey, I, my, the most comfortable thing for me is to have a house with a little bit of acreage out in the woods away from anybody so I can just build my bunker, and that's what's comfortable for me. Like, just get my comfort. I don't want anybody around me. I comfort. And then there's the control people. And the control people, especially with the money thing, this is where it gets really, you know, legit, is the control people with the money because I worship control and feel like I can control my circumstances, I can control my surroundings, I will use money. And the, the control person, they're usually really, really frugal. They're like the person who becomes the accountant. They're the person who you want to go get financial advice from because they really know how to save it. But the reason that they're saving their money is so that they can be protected from anything that will happen in the economy. Well, yes, my kids have only ever eaten peanut butter and jelly sandwiches since they were three years old. But that's so that they can have a college fund 
well, how do you know that kid's going to college? Like, hey, what do you do when they come up to you and they're like, yeah, I want to be a plumber? And they're like, dang. Well, well <laughs> what do I do with this $48,000 I've been saving for you since you were three years old? Well, I'll just save it for your grandkids. And then, again, you're just, we're just going to hold tight-fisted to all this stuff. Because I think if I have enough, then I'm immune to the problems financially specifically. If I can have enough money, then I'm immune to any of the problems of the world. The reality is, the richest people in the world, their kids still get cancer too. The richest people in the world, their, their, their kids still struggle with uh, self-harm and everything else. The richest people in the world still have all the same troubles. That's why King uh, Solomon... God shows up, and it's this cool moment I wish God would do for me at some point. Um, and he just says, hey, I want to give you whatever you ask. And Solomon, you know, could have gone anywhere with that. And he says, God, just give me wisdom. Uh, give me discernment. And God's like, that's a really, really good answer. A gold star for you. Super proud. And he says, not only am I going to give you wisdom and discernment, I'm just going to give you all the riches of the world, too. And he poured, begins to pour that out on him. And, and what happens is Solomon begins to do things in his life to multiply that. He gains wisdom. He knows what to do. He knows what to invest in. He knows what not to invest in. He knows who to attack, who not to attack. He knows all of these things. And what happens, and he writes this in Ecclesiastes. It's a really depressing but fascinating book to walk through. But in there, he talks about, I set out to see how far the riches of this world could take me. And this guy had everything. He was the richest person to ever live on the face of planet Earth. He had thousands of concubines. That, like, again, the far ends of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. This guy had all of that at his fingertips. And at the midpoint of, of the book of Ecclesiastes, he said, it was all vanity. And he says this word. I love this word. It was chasing after the wind. Something that I thought I could catch. I was, I was, I was, my, the wind in my lungs was failing as I was trying to grab this thing that I thought I could hold on to. But I could never get it. So which one of those is it for you? Power, approval, comfort, control? Which, which root idol are you using money to serve, hoping it will give you something that only God can? See, all those things. The reality is, friend, those things that are good things, like you need to have approval in your life. You need to be able to have some semblance of control. You need to have some aspect of comfort to your life. But all of those things, all four of those, are to only be found in Jesus, to primarily be found in Jesus, to, to at their root be found in who he is. And that's why he says, you can't serve two masters. Now, we hear that and we're like, what do you mean by that? Like, what do you mean talking about? It's like, I can't serve two masters? Because like some of you in this room, like you have two jobs. And you're like, I have two bosses. One tells me to do this and one tells me to do that. No big deal. Like I work for Uber Eats and I work for this other thing. And I just, what I do. Even people hearing this, they would have gone, well, uh, you mean I can't have two masters? Like, what are you talking about? Like, there were people in, hearing this that had two wives, and they're like, I got, yeah, I got two masters. And some of y'all missed that one. Um, but the context that people would have heard here, it's a little different because, at least in, in America, it's not as blatant as it was, and it is in some parts of the, of the world still. But people understood that a slave... They don't have two masters. That an employee can have two masters, a husband can maybe have two wives, but a slave, there's only one master for a slave. And the only way you get a new one is if one sells you to the other one. And you're on the clock, round the clock, for a master. And so when he says this, everybody listening goes, 
Mm-hmm. There's no dual allegiance. I can't kind of want to get these investments and kind of do this and be all for this and everything else right here and then still go, okay, but God too. I goes, no, you, you only have one master. And how you prioritize and what you do with those things is what makes the most difference. And the, the reason and how you can know that, that money is your master is anything that you're not willing to let go of it's not something that you have. It's something that has you. So when he's, when he's saying this, he's envisioning what he's doing. And this is the wild part about Jesus. The reason why I think he's a trustworthy God and he's one worth putting our hope and our treasure in and letting it be only found in him is because, at least from what I've seen in this life, every other treasure whether it's a big house, lots of investments, even the treasure of a trophy wife or a trophy husband, whatever it may be, all of those treasures, at some point, if they're created things, all of those treasures are going to, kind of at their root level, demand that you be willing to die for them in order to gain them. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the songs, you know, I'll catch a grenade for you. Mm-mm. It's, 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 the, it's the guy who I've, ta- I've counseled before who's going, man, I just feel like I'm killing myself to get this next promotion. Yeah, that's what they want. And see, every other treasure that you would go after in life is one that said, you've got to be willing to die to get this. You've got to be willing to say no to so much in order to get this. And that's why there's so many people who are sacrificing families, who are sacrificing marriage, who are sacrificing the impact that you can make for the gospel for the sake of gaining mammon, for the sake of gaining money. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, look, I'm something totally different. Where every other treasure says, you be willing to die to get me. Jesus says, I am the treasure and I'm dying to get you. And when you realize that, then you have freedom for money. When you realize all of what he traded in, all of what he let go of, that he had perfect union in heaven with his heavenly father. And again, like, we can talk about trust fund kids and everything that you want, but Jesus is the ultimate rich kid. Like, he's in heaven. He is God's son, has everything, all of heaven's potential, everything at his fingertips. And he trades it in, and he comes to a podunk town called Bethlehem. He's born, he's ro- r- raised up in another podunk town called Nazareth. He lives his life walking through Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, a bunch of other podunk towns. And at the end of the life, he has no investments. He has no home. He has no equity. He's on a cross, naked, giving his very own lifeblood for you and me. See, when you, when you see how poor he became so that you could be his treasure, then it makes us look at what we've got and go, well, why am I holding on to this so close-fisted? I gotta let this go. When I see that he, at some point in his life, must have had this moment where he went, I'm willing like, I'm literally willing to go through hell so that I can be a way maker for them to heaven. When you realize that, like, there's freedom in there that some of us have never, never touched, never tasted. And it's not just freedom from money, man. It's freedom from uh, whatever addiction you got. It's freedom from whatever propensities you have. When you realize that the ultimate treasure looked at you in the face and said, you're my treasure too. And I'm willing to give my whole life and, and, and trade everything else, all the treasure I had so that I can get you. That changes everything. And that's what he's after. And so I want to end with two things today. I want to walk you through how you know that money is no longer your master. First thing, that you, the way you'll know that money is no longer your master is you treat rich people and poor people with the same respect. 
Here's what I mean by that. Um, I, I live in a neighborhood and we've got a bunch of different houses. Some are being built and everything else. But um, there are houses here, and if you go and like, kind of go out of the back of the neighborhood, <clears throat> our immediate neighbor there, they do a really terrible job at cutting their grass. I know I've talked about that before at church. Maybe God wants me to go cut their grass. Um, they're there, and I don't really know them. Like, they may be amphibians. Like, I, they, they, may be from, they may be in witness protection. I don't know. I literally never, ever see them. Um, they just go in they're there. And then uh, there's another house, and then there's one more house up, and they've got a pool. It's a legit pool. Like, it's got a slide and everything. All right? Now, if, if one of you guys came to me and said, hey, I know both those neighbors. Um, I'd love to introduce you uh, to them and, and let you go get to know them and, and hang out with them a little bit. Which one do you want me to introduce you first? You know, like, there's something inside of me that's like, the guy with the pool, you know? Because, like, I don't even know about the other guy. Like, I don't I, I, I don't know about them. And see, that's, that's looking at people for the stuff that they have, not for who they are. And that flip, that's like the antithesis of the gospel. See, God created us and he created stuff. And he created us and stuff so that we could love us and use stuff. But we do the opposite. We love stuff and we use people. And God's going, stop. And just because you think someone is rich, just because you think, that's why I, that's why I have no idea what you people give to MCC. I don't want to know because I'd probably treat you different because there's, there's stuff that God is still doing differently on the inside of me. So I love not knowing because I can treat the person who gives zero and the person who gives the most pretty much the same. Then you got the poor people who we would just look at and go, well, you don't really have anything to offer me. Like, the, like, like, even, like, I know you're not, you know, for us, like, if we're in a church world or business world, like, we can think about, like, okay, well, well, they're not going to give me any advice, but maybe they can give me a good connection. But it's like, who are you going to, like, who's this homeless person going to connect me with? Like, who do you know? You don't know anybody important. And we say that because we think in our head, we don't say it out loud, but we think you're not important either. So you don't know anybody that's important. But you know that money is no longer the God you serve when you treat rich people and poor people with the same respect. The other way you know <clears throat> that money is no longer your, your, your master is you have no trouble being generous. You have no trouble being generous. It just rolls right off of you. The same way like in traffic, you have no problem getting angry. <laughs> that's, that's, you'll know money is not your master when you have no problem being generous like you have no problem getting angry in Henry County traffic. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're going, okay, but how much? Because we're like that, right? Like, how much are we talking? What are we talking about, Trent? You told me to be generous, but what, where are we at? Where are we at with that? Now, you could be sitting around going, okay, that's 10%. I got to tithe to the church, and I, everything else is just given to other folks. That's the offering, and, you know, that's tithe, and there's offering, there's all that. Um, here's how I would define it. You can give 10 if you want. Uh, that's, that's cool. I think that's kind of like the biblical you know, entry level. Again, we walk through this part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, here's what the law required. And again, the Old Testament law required that you gave that 10%. New Testament, we're free from that. Jesus says to give out the abundance of your heart. You're under no obligation to give. Give each what you decide in your own heart. But I look at what Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, and man, if the law was here, he did not lower the bar. He rose it. He said, okay, don't commit adultery, fellas. Then he was like, that's what the law says. He says, here's what love requires, though. Love requires that you not even look at a woman lustfully in your heart. And he was like, ladies, I know that you want to kill your husband. Don't kill him. 
That's what the law says. But I'm saying, don't even in your head think, you fool. If you do that, it's just like you killed him. See, Jesus says, okay, here's a law. I'm raising it because that's what love does. And so when we go to the question of, okay, what does it mean to be generous? Here's how I would define that. What does generosity equal? It equals sacrificial. Sacrificial. That's what it means in my opinion, and again, based off of what I see through Scripture, how much, how much do I give? I give sacrificially. And Jesus, again, he's never been about amounts. He's been about sacrifice. That's why there's this crazy story. Uh, uh, there's these uh, religious leaders, and they all come in, and there's a bunch of people, and they're all giving their money, and they're just like, ding, 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 ding. and again, they didn't give paper money or cryptocurrency. Like They're just dropping the money in the thing. And then there's this little widow, and she comes in. She's got two little minus, and all that all she hears, all people hear when she gives is clink, clink. And Jesus looks around to his disciples and he says, Fellows, lean in. She just gave more than everybody else here. And it had nothing to do with the amount because there were people who gave way more than she did, but she gave sacrificially. And the question I would ask to all of us, the question that Jessica and I ask as, as we process through our own life is this Is there a cross in my budget? Is there any, anything that I'm doing with my financial resources where I'm having to say no to something else that I want, that my flesh desires, so that I can do something else? It, and again, like we think it, like we think we gotta pray and fat, and again, those things are important. We think we gotta do these things, we gotta think remember script, remember scripture. But sometimes, like what Jesus would like you'd be surprised at what amazing things Jesus would do in your heart and what transformation would actually happen if you said, you know what I'm not gonna do? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do Starbucks for two weeks. I'm gonna take that money and I'm gonna give it to what's going on in Haiti. Like we make this following Jesus thing way harder than it's gotta be. Baby steps, folks. Sacrificial. Now again. He says, anybody who wants to follow me, they've got to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And that denying ourselves part is really hard. Because saying no is delayed gratification. And guys, that's, that's where the treasure on earth and the treasure on heaven meet. It's me saying no to myself so that I can say yes to Christ. Say yes to his will. Say yes to what he wants. And when I do that, man, amazing things begin to happen. And it gives us hope in this because Jesus said this through Paul in Philippians 4.19. He says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. My God, he's going to meet all your needs. This is what gives me the, like if this is true, that means I can give sacrificially. If God says, I'm going to meet all your needs. Now again, it says needs, not wants. So it's not, you know, you get a Hummer. Like it's, it's, <laughs> He says, I'm going to meet all your needs, not what you want. I'm going to meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Which, pause for a second there. We just talked about Jesus losing all his riches to gain us. He got them back? Mm-hmm. Bible made that really clear. It said that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And then Philippians 2, 6-11, through 11, Jesus is, is said to be one who didn't take equality with God and say, that's something that I need to hold on to. But he let go of equality with God, which is, that's mind-boggling. He says, I'm going to let go of equality with God. And I'm going to take on the very nature of a servant, humble myself, become obedient even to the point of death. And then the Bible says, because of that, every knee will bow 
every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he, though he humbled himself to the lowest of lows, is now exalted to the highest of highs, and everything that he lost for the sake of getting you has now come back. And it's come back. Don't miss this. It's come back so that you can be one who receives some of it. He humbled himself to the bottom of the pit, to the very edges of hell, so that he could be risen up to the heights of heaven, have all those resources there, and then be able to look at you, those some people who would surrender to him and say, now this is on tap to give back to you in your life. But he says, you get this when you're in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. In. Not for, but in. So this, again, it beckons back to what we talked about in the last part, living a with God life, saying, God, I'm with you. And if I'm in you, Jesus, and I'm with you, Jesus, then all the riches, everything I need, is right there on tap, ready for me. And what this happens to do in our lives is it makes us the new rich. A new, a new rich, a new, a new type of rich that is, is gospel rich. And it's defined like this. It's defined as being the richest people in life, not being those who have the most, but those who need the least. That's, that's the opportunity for you in this morning right here as you sit and as you watch online to become the richest person in Henry County because you need the least. Because you know everything I need, everything I could ever wanted, everything I could ever desire is bound up in the love and grace and mercy of Jesus Christ who traded in all the treasure of heaven to count me as his so that I could experience it as well. As we receive communion today, that's my prayer, is that you feel that, you experience that, that you realize that this was the price that was paid so a path could be made for me to know the Father as a son and a daughter, not as a slave, but as a son, as a daughter. As you receive communion today, I pray you meet with him, you talk with him, and then we're going to sing a song to celebrate the fact that we have now found that treasure. And that treasure has found us to give us that treasure. So meet with him, talk with him today. And then we're going to sing aloud. Jesus, thank you, Lord, for your grace poured out on us in such an abundance and such an overflow. We are so undeserving. There are many, many times where we just um, need to repent of the times we've overlooked how much you've done, how much you've given, how good you've already been to us. And Jesus, I pray that you would continue to allow us as your church here in this city to be abundantly generous. That people would look on and see the way we give, both to see your gospel spread through the local church and to those around us. And then people would realize that's so different. That they would ask us the hope that we have found. And they would say, it's only you, Jesus. It's only you. It's in your name we pray.